media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated, open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 7. We have a lot of text to cover this morning. It is uh, one of those where uh, I wanted to, in one way, divide this up into two different parts and two different sermons. At the same time, I just could not force myself to do that because uh, it is one of those where this morning as we open up this text, uh, it the second part of Jesus' application really does need that first part to really define it. And hopefully you'll see that as we go through. But we're going to cover a lot of text more than we normally do because we like to go slow and kind of easy. And so that can we really absorb it? And we're going to cover a lot this morning. Uh, first question this morning, are you a rules person by nature? <laughs> I already knew, Sherry. <laughs> and Q, I should have known that you're not. You know, you're that free spirit. And like, rules? Why rules? <laughs> Every one of us have a, a certain personality. It's not so much a religious conviction, uh, maybe first and foremost, but a lot of us, uh, Seth, I can imagine you're an engineer, okay? So I can imagine you like rules in the sense that rules are facts and they're based on, on things and it gives form and comfort in knowing these different things. Uh, airplane pilot or something like that. You know, I, I can imagine that, you know, when you were flying, flying helicopters that, you know, facts matter, didn't they, Taylor? And so at that point, I can imagine that there's a part of us that if we have certain structures in our life that we just like that because rules to uh, people that like rules bring comfort. It brings structure. A free spirit person feels confined by that, though. It's kind of like, rules, why do we have to do it this way? Just because everybody else does it that way, why do we have to do it? Or more importantly, why do I have to do it that way? And so this morning, besides where we are in our spiritual convictions, besides where we are in our uh, walk with Christ, we have a personality that either tends to go toward the rules or one that really sees confinement and we want to break away from the rules. Well, keep that in mind because when we begin to open up and especially as we begin to, uh, to look at the scripture this morning, a lot of people think that God very much that he's on the rule side. In fact, many of you might have grown up in a church where it was always about the rules and the rules and the rules and the rules. And that conformity to the rules was really a testimony of your walk with Christ. And in many ways, it can be. You know, we, we are called to holy living. It's an amazing thing that Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. And so we have a high call, as the people of Israel did. And they are this called out people. But when we go back to the Old Testament, when we see the, the commandments, both the ten original commandments and the other commandments that God gave us, we see that there's basically two reasons for the commandments of God. Okay, two different reasons. The first one is that they were to show that we are primarily people that are sinful in nature, that we can't keep all the rules. We may be better than some other people, but that we can't keep every single rule. And just as James says, when you've broken one, you've broken them all. And God gave us these rules to show us that we needed a Savior. That if he truly did require holiness, that you and I were defeated the first breath of our life. So part of the commandments that we have is certainly just to, to point the way to the cross. The second thing that we see is that God does require us and call us to be a called out people. So he gave rules for the Israelites and he gave these commandments so that they could live together in society in uh, safety and in order. 
rules by their nature can be good. And oftentimes when we see the, certainly the commandments of God are good. The problem is knowing how many rules are enough for the purpose that they serve. And that can be bad. Uh, when we used to take youth trips when I was in youth ministry, I, I always had just a couple rules. Instead of coming up with 11 rules, you know, I would say, okay, rule number one, do not do anything that hurts your relationship with God, with others, and with yourself. Rule number two, have fun. And I figured that pretty much covered it all. Instead of giving out 20 different rules that were all of a sudden, you know, kind of this weight upon these kids, if they can just get the heart of this, this would be good. Not so much in the old, uh, in the New Testament when the, we see the Pharisees and we see the scribes, um, by this time in the ministry of Christ, they really kind of upped their attack on him. Uh, last couple of weeks, we saw how Jesus fed the 25,000. His popularity at that point could have been at the height. But we saw in John chapter 6, verse 66, uh, a, a telling thing. They wanted to make him king in John chapter 6, and he refused. He actually goes kind of out the back door, so to speak. And he goes away from their political ambitions. And look what it says in John chapter 6, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It says disciples. It didn't say people. After this, many of his disciples. It didn't mean the 12 disciples. Well, what it meant was, are we not, do we, can we not get the slides this morning? That is fine if, Somehow, if I did something wrong there and not in loading those this morning. But, uh, uh, John chapter 6, verse 66. Everything else is going to be from the, from Mark. And so if your Bible is open to Mark, you're going to be able to follow great with the, the rest of the morning. But it says, after this, many of his disciples, these were people that were following Christ, but when he did not set up a political kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and he kept on talking about this heavenly kingdom, that is, the more that Jesus pronounced who he was, the more the masses turned away from him. It's this incredible thing. He began to define more and more and more, this is who I am. And more and more and more people turned away from that ministry. And we see hints of this, especially as the, the, the tensions between the Pharisees, the religious authorities, the scribes of that day, as they began to up their game against Jesus Christ. And we see that in Mark chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Look what it says. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, uh, that's the, the center of religious activity, okay? And so now, if you notice that Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem that often, when he does, it's later on in the ministry, there's a purpose in that. He stays in Galilee a lot. Why? Because he knows this confrontation is there and it takes him away from his ministry. But now, instead of him going to Jerusalem, Jerusalem comes to him. And they're coming and they're taking names. And they're taking notes. Verse 2, it says, They saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Two very important things to notice about these two verses. Number one, that the Pharisees are joined with the scribes, that they've come from Jerusalem. In our day, uh, it'd be like uh, the local police calling in the feds, calling in the FBI. Okay, we're expanding the scope of this criminal activity. The second thing that we see there is that they begin to build their case. They begin to take notes and names because they're building this case against Christ. Now, this particular controversy comes down to a matter of rules. Remember, the Jewish leaders, they loved their rules. 
They took the ten original commandments of God and they added to them in order to, quote unquote, protect the ten commandments. They added in 613 others to, to help us, to protect. Okay, they said that this was the intention as if God had not clarified enough. Now, I think that the Ten Commandments, especially if we would take every one of those to heart and we would live them out and we really see the heart of those matters, the Ten Commandments are very, very sufficient. And yet, here's what we like in form and religion. Here's part of the lure of, and the attraction of religion. is saying, okay, let me clarify that a little bit more. I, I mean, it goes to everything that, you know, back in, in the day that I was growing up in the church, it was like, okay, make sure that you're, Skirts are not too short, okay? Well, then you had to have a measurement. And then all of a sudden you had this and that. I'm not saying that I'm all for modesty, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying once you have one thing, then you have to start adding to it all these other things. But don't listen to this kind of music. Well, what, what, well, you know, that's what I heard when I was growing up in a church. And okay, well, what does that, who is that? Is it just these three groups? Is it just, is, do we expand it to these ten groups? Instead of what kind of music? Is it groups? Is it who's performing it? Do you see where all of a sudden when you begin to get into that, it gets away from the original motive that is heart-based, and it gets into clarification by all the rules. And there's a certain part of that that we really, really like. There's a certain part of that that clarifies and gives us comfort. Well, here they've added all these different rules. And one of them was that everybody had to wash their hands. Now, please, do not think that they did this because they were germaphobes. They didn't do this because there was a COVID outbreak and they were told to wash their hands a lot. This isn't what's going on here. Originally, they were, uh, uh, it was only the, the religious leaders for purity as they would do the different assignments that God had given them that they would wash their hands. But then they began to extend that to everybody else, and even down to the pots and the pans. When I was in Israel, uh, when we went out one night in Jerusalem, you go to the, the, the restaurant, and they said, do you want to be on the meat side? Or do you want to be on the dairy side? They still don't mix meat and dairy, even to this day. And so we had to pick. Of course, it was all guys, so we picked the meat side. Okay, we, can, we can have dairy later, but we're going to have meat tonight. But it's amazing how even now, and, and I will tell you that the Jewish people for the most part, the nation of Israel today is not a very religious people, or not a very relational people. That is that they really follow strongly after God's heart. But they are a very religious people even to this day. And the rules matter to them. Look what happens in verse 3 and 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there was many other traditions that they observed, but as the washing of cups and, uh, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. In other words, okay, you need to wash your hands. Well, you need to wash these pots. Well, you need to wash this. Well, even where you're going to sit down when you're dining, it has to be cleansed too. See how that just begins to expand and expand? And they did. 613 additional rules there. The religious leaders decided to use this against Jesus in his ministry. And look at verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands. Do you see that last part? But eat with defiled hands. 
This was not a matter of cleanliness. They had not been out playing in the mud and that it was just good proper hygiene here. Go wash your hands. No. What the Pharisees are pointing out, what the religious leaders are pointing out, you are breaking the law. Our law. I I, I want you to know that because we are to be clean people. It's proper to wash your hands, okay? This is not what they're focusing on. They're not talking about germs. They're talking about laws. And they use this as a distinction. Again, originally only the priests were the ones to observe this, but they began to break this out. But folks, this was not about dirty hands. It was about breaking religious rules. By the end of the second century, uh, the Jewish leaders had added even to the 613. It's amazing, this uh, work that they call the Mishnah. Uh, 186 pages in there on cleanliness. Now get this, 35 pages just on washing pots and pans. Can you imagine? I mean, 35, it's like I've lost my appetite now. I don't even want to eat. 35 pages on the proper washing of pots and pans. When Jesus confronted these higher-ups from Jerusalem, he begins to point out the emptiness of it all. There's two things about religion uh, that are not satisfying. In fact, the exact opposite of what Christ wants to do for us. Number one, they don't satisfy the real need that we have. And in one way, they really don't satisfy the heart. Now, again, if you're a rule follower, there is a certain... Check, 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 check. I was able to do these things. So there's a certain satisfaction in that. But there's still an emptiness in that. The other thing is, it really puts a heavy weight upon you. Because this is where if you are a rule follower, and there was five things that you were supposed to check off that day, and you only got to three of those, oh man, that night you're going, I I failed. (laughs) I did not do what I was supposed to do. I did not perform as I was supposed to be performing. And and so it's a double-edged sword there. That this rule keeping, there is some purpose behind it. So listen, listen what Jesus says. Look at verse six and seven. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Uh, or uh, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me." teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Now, Isaiah said that. And now, fast forward, hundreds of years later, and Jesus says, this is being fulfilled in what you're doing, guys. That you're using the commandments of men, not the commandments of God, to put a weight upon people's lives. To, to put something that God never put there. And look at verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. So easy to see that when it's pots and pans and washing hands. Certainly we would not, in 2021, fall into such a predicament. Certainly we are not such a religious people that we would follow religion and the commandments of man over the commandments of God. And of course I say that in jest. Because there is quite an attractiveness to rules and religion. Let me give you three reasons why I think that our very nature are attracted to religion and rules. Number one, because it's something that we can master. That is, we can become very good at it. Were the Pharisees good at keeping the commandments of man? Yeah. 
When they said only walk this far on the Sabbath, they didn't walk past that. When he said don't do this, don't do this. I mean, one of the parts of the Mishnah was don't look in a mirror on the Sabbath. Why? Because you might see a gray hair and decide to pluck it out. That would be work. They were really, really good at this. But what if we can't master it? What if we're not really that good? Well, the second thing is we can measure it. And even if I can't master it, one of the attractions of religion and rules is that I can measure it. And so all of a sudden, I don't have to be as good as Christ as long as I'm better than Bruce or Ricky or Tony. When I measure it, I can feel good about myself because at least at that point, you know, I haven't mastered it, but I'm at least ahead of the game of where Ricky is. And if that fails, then I can manipulate it. And they were good at manipulating it. Now, we would never do that. We would never find a loophole in the midst of God's word, would we? Yeah, we have a tendency to do that. See, our human nature, I'm not saying our spiritual nature, our human nature is very attracted to rules and conformity and checklists and all those things because we can master it and we feel really good about ourselves. If we can't, we can measure it. At least I'm better than you. No, I'll manipulate it. I'll change what this really was, this rule really meant and somehow I, I can still come out on top. If you don't think that there's a part of you that isn't attracted to those three things, I think that we're kind of lying to ourselves. I'm not saying that we give in to it. I'm saying there's an attraction there, guys. This manipulation, let me give you an example. Better yet, let Jesus give you an example. Look at verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. In other words, was honoring your mother and father, is that part of God's commandments? Yes. And did he make other commandments to go with that? So, okay, if you don't do that, here's really the penalty that you need. They need to take you outside the city, and it really could be in a death sentence to you. So God did say those two things, Okay. In the New Testament, one of the often, most often repeated commandments of the Old Testament is honor your mother and father. This is a thing of God. But now what did they do with it? All of a sudden, they take it beyond Exodus 21, 17, where it says that, you know, you could be, you could have your life taken if you didn't honor your mother and father. Leviticus 29 is a commandment of God, not of the Pharisees, where it explains, honor your mother and father, or this could happen to you. These are the things of God. But how did they manipulate it? Look at verse 11 and 12. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. That is given to God. Now, what is Corbin? Let's stop right there. When you pronounce something Corbin, you said that this was dedicated. It could be land. It could be animals. It could be you know money. It could be whatever. You said, okay, this is dedicated to God for the purposes of God. And it can't be used for, in this case, go and buy your parents' groceries, even if they would be in need. And so Jesus is saying, okay, you're using words, you're playing with words, and what you're doing is pronouncing money that you should be spending to get groceries for your mom and dad because they're hungry and they're in need. And you're saying, sorry, mom and dad, this is Corbin. (laughs) This is, I've dedicated this to God. Look at verse 12. And then you no longer permit permit him to do anything for his father and mother. 
Have you ever played a word game with God? Try somehow to keep it all in the brain and not in the heart. Because that's what a board game is. Well, God, and my favorite example is always back from my childhood when my sister and I were growing up and we were sitting in the back seat traveling to grandma's or wherever and she stays on her side, I stay on my side and you're not supposed to touch one another. And my, one of my favorite illustrations is always where you reach over and you're not officially touching your sister, but you're like a half an inch away. You're violating the purpose of this law altogether. But somehow you are not touching. So my sister cries out, Mom, he's touching me. No, I'm not. I am actually officially not touching her. And I always think about that. God, have I ever done that with you? Have I ever done that to things where, Oh God, I'm not touching it, but I'm like half an inch away. I have violated the whole purpose and the meaning of that and this high call of Christ upon my life. And yet, technically, I could say, I'm not touching it, I'm not touching it. That's what they were doing. Honor your mother and father. Your your mother and father, they, they need food. No, can't use that money for a mom and dad. But here's the thing, they could use it for their own pleasures. Couldn't use it to feed their mom and dad who were in need. But they could turn around and And they could use it for their own pleasures and their desires. So Jesus draws a conclusion. Look at verse 13. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. I could go down a laundry list, Jesus says. I could start to examine your lives. You're here to examine me and to take notes and take names. I could start with a long list of the things that you're doing and you use religious paraphernalia and terms. I mean, this is what he addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. Five different times in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it been said, but I tell you. Was he negating the law? No, he was clarifying the purpose of the law. Jesus tells them that they've essentially voided the word of God by trying to establish a way around it. He says this is just one of their many, many examples. They had taken what God had meant to be a relationship-centered thing and he turned it into a man-centered religion full of twists and, and turns and played on words. They had placed their priorities on the external instead of the internal. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 14 and 15. Look what it says. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Now when Jesus says, Come here, listen, so you can understand. Is that a good thing? He's trying to bring clarity. There's something that is maybe unclear. Now what does he say in verse 15? There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And in the next verses, he begins to talk about the things of the heart. He he even cuts a little bit graphic in verses in 18 and 19. He said, food? (laughs) That goes in? And in so many words, (laughs) he says, and it comes out. (laughs) So it's not the food that you put in that defiles you. It's not so much this, you know, external thing. It's all about your heart. Jesus ends the lesson by pointing out the real trouble. Look down at verse 21 through 23. 
From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They defile a person. I mean, that's really what he was clarifying in the Sermon on the Mount. Certainly he would say that that wickedness and deceit and and envy and pride and all these things, he, he would say that they have an external showing, but he said they all come from the heart. They all originate in the heart. And that's when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, you've heard it been said, do not commit adultery. But I, I tell you that you commit adultery when you look at a woman with lust in your heart. I didn't touch. I didn't touch. I didn't touch. No, when you look in your heart, when you lust, that's when the lust began. And he takes it from this external checklist, from this religious thing where we can start to find loopholes and puts it all right back to the origination of what God intended. No, I want your heart. I want you to have a pure heart. She says, you know what really makes you unclean, unwashed, ungodly? Sin in your heart. Folks, I don't think that Jesus was against the law. I don't want you to think that Jesus was somehow saying the law doesn't matter. No, in that Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew 5, 7, this is what Jesus said. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it. He's not saying throw out. He's not a free spirit that says the law doesn't matter. I don't like confinement. It confines me. Go do whatever you want. This is not the message of Christ. He's not saying go do anything and everything. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. What does he mean by that? What were the two purposes that we mentioned earlier about why God established the law? Number one. To show us our sinfulness. To show that in ourselves we are not sufficient to be able to maintain. Nobody has ever been able to claim, except for Jesus Christ, that they have walked in perfection. James uh, tells us in James 2.10 that if we've sinned in one area, we've sinned in them all. It's his way of saying that when you've broken one law, you are unholy before a holy God. So number one, God says, okay, I've established the commandments because I want you to see your need for a Savior. But there was a second purpose, and again, a very good purpose, to establish order and safety that we're a called out people. So when God says something, and he says, okay, I call you out to do this, and it does become, if you want to say a law, don't do this and don't do this, or do this and do this, its purpose there isn't just so that we can have a checklist. It's there because he wants us to live holy lives. Please do not get, or, or hear me say it in the, the wrong way to this morning. Jesus is not about just saying, free spirit, go for it. He's come and he upholds the law. He hasn't come to abolish the law, but he has come to fulfill the law. See, the bad that comes from it, again, why Why are we so drawn to, to religion and religious activity? Because we can master it. And if for some reason we can't master it, then we can measure it. And we can at least find some people that aren't doing it as well as we are. And even if we start to fail at that, then we can manipulate it. Well, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. We are drawn to this by our human nature. And God calls us out of that. 
Folks, the, hustle, the heart of the gospel is this. It's our need for a savior. Religion says, I need to get better by keeping more rules. Jesus says, I've kept every rule so that you can have a relationship with your Father in heaven. Not diminishing those laws. Not saying that those laws aren't important. He just points out that we can never have kept them. Here's what I've found about religion because there's a, um, I'm kind of a free spirit, but I kind of like my rules too. So I'm kind of in between or just very complex. (laughs) Religion is exhausting, guys. It is exhausting. Not so much on the days that we hit all five checkpoints, but on the days that somehow we only got two out of the five. Because if we live by that and we breathe by that, then all of a sudden, we die by that. It is not satisfying. It is exhausting. But it's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law. I call you to holy living, but I kept the law so that you would be enabled to have holy living. For all those check marks that you never made. In fact, he said, basically, you could have never even checked off the first box. I have been sufficient for you. Today we're going to sing a, an old hymn. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, coming to Jesus softly and tenderly. And I want you to really think about it. Even if you've sung this song, um, I don't think we've ever sung it in the five years that I've been here, but uh, if, if you grew up singing this song, don't just sing it out of kind of memory, but really focus on the words because this is what Jesus, this is really our text this morning. Hey, you come Why can you come? Because I've been sufficient. You're not sufficient in your walk, but I am totally sufficient in the walk that I did, and I did it for you. And now he comes. He asks us to come. Come. Don't find your comfort in rule-keeping. Find your comfort in that I kept every rule for you and that you can hide yourself now in me. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we ask this morning, Father, that you would help us to really kind of get a grasp on this, Father. Christ is not saying that the law, especially your law, Father, is is unimportant, Father. He, he would say that very much we are to be holy people and, and, and live lives of righteousness that reflect righteous living. And yet, Father, the distinction that we see that, that Jesus makes is that we can fall into this trap of not the traditions of God, but the traditions of man. Father, help us to see that there's only one sufficient one. And that was your provision, the very lamb that you sent to be slain on our behalf. And so, Father, when we hear his voice and and softly and tenderly, he's, he's asking us to come away from the exhaustion, away from the failure, but to come into his sufficiency. Father, give us ears to hear. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.